0: Thanks for joining us. The following is a presentation of Ignite Global Ministries and features the teaching of Pastor Ben Dixon. Pastor Ben has a vision of strengthening the church to impact the world. He serves as lead pastor at Northwest Foursquare Church in Federal Way, Washington. I get a lot of emails, especially when it comes to the coronavirus, a lot of advice and even good practices during this time, encouragements, testimonies. I get a lot of emails about that and keep them coming, all right, because they're encouraging me. And then also there are a lot of prophecies. I wanted to just give you an Ignite Gathering thought for a moment. There are a lot of prophecies that have been going around and some are on the judgment side. This is a judgment from God. And some of them are on the side that this coronavirus is going to be extinguished uh, by Passover or as as Easter is coming to a close. But we obviously believe this is Passover according to Scripture. And so many have asked me, what do I think? Well, I know of who, the, who those are that have given these prophecies. And to be honest with you, I don't really know. Here's what I do know. I know that God is involved in our world. He's not the author of the coronavirus, and I do not believe he's judging us or he's judging the world. But I believe all sickness, disease, and ailments come from the fall and the pit of hell itself. They are influenced by the fall and of the enemy, whether they're directly from the enemy or not. So this is where we believe This type of stuff, sickness, disease, ailments comes from. And there's a mystery to a degree with all that, but that's what we believe. And so when we pray, we are pushing back, not against the judgment of God, but we are pushing back against disease and sickness and death that God did not author. And as the people of God, we believe that we have authority to push back, which is why we must go to a time of prayer and fasting. Certainly we want to wash our hands. Certainly we want to take the proper precautions. But we've got to push back in prayer, knowing that the Holy Spirit has given us authority and God has power over all sickness and disease. And so this is so important because lives are being lost right now. And we take this very seriously together as a church community. And sometimes we don't really feel that way until it comes close to home. So I want to make sure that we don't have to wait that long in order to get involved. What can we do right now? We can pray. I don't know about the prophecies. I'm not hearing that from the Lord. It might be the case where this stop starts to cease coming uh, around the Passover time, but I don't really know. What I do know is the Bible calls us to pray, and that is absolutely certain according to Scripture. And so I just wanted to address that. In the coming weeks, I might shed light on a little bit more of that. I might talk a little bit more about that, but I wanted to just make sure that our posture and our stance is one of prayer right now in this season, regardless of whether or not we have um, an accuracy in our understanding of specific prophetic words that have been shared, both in the past and currently. So that's where I'm standing, and that's what I'm sharing tonight. I want to start a uh, maybe a series of talks where I'm going to just walk through the issue of prayer because we're entering into a season of prayer and pushing back on the coronavirus and all that could follow economic you know, downfall and all of that, we're going to push back and we're going to ask for God to move in power. We're going to ask for the salvation of souls. We're going to ask for God to pour out his Holy Spirit. We're going to ask for healing, signs, wonders, and miracles would be released to glorify Jesus and his supremacy in our lives and in our community where people's hearts were not open. We are praying and pushing back, believing that hearts are going to be open where things were doors were shut to us in the past to the church. We are believing that doors are now going to be open, where the world was system was was very much against and hardened to the gospel of Jesus and those that represented him. we are now very much believing that God is now going to open a way where there seems to be like there was no way we believe that god 's going to do that, and it 's going to come like a mighty rushing river, especially as we lock into this place of prayer, and so I want to lead us in a series of conversations over the next few weeks about prayer. What is prayer? How do we pray? How do we contend? What does it mean to pray with faith? How do we intercede? What do we pray for? What does the Bible actually say about prayer? And so I want to start that series of conversations with a message tonight that I'm calling Redefining Prayer. If you have a Bible, you can open to Matthew chapter 6. It's going to take me a while to get there. Uh, there are no notes, but you're more than welcome to email me for my notes if you're interested. But I've just been banging away on my notes all week. And obviously now I'm I'm preaching several messages a week, not just our weekend services, but also our Wednesday night service. And so I don't, we're not always able to get those notes together in order for them to be edited and uploaded. So you're gonna get this raw and right from me. But if you have a Bible, we're gonna use, we're gonna use the Word of God tonight, Matthew chapter 6. And we'll be talking about prayer messages entitled Redefining Prayer. Let's go ahead and pray as we open God's word together. Father, we thank you tonight for your word. And we believe that it is powerful to change our lives. And Lord, we know that we're walking in, living in, standing in a time, in a moment that we believe is a historical moment. As we look back upon the season in which we are in, we know that we are going to see that you have done great Things and we prophesy that into the soil of the ground right now, just like seeds that will grow up and bear much fruit. We are not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ because it is the very power of God unto salvation. And we ask, Lord, that you would show yourself strong and mighty in this season that we're in, that you would make us bold and fiery witnesses with the gospel of the Lord Jesus, Lord, that you would inspire us to be generous kind and loving with our neighbors, and know how to reach out just as we are reaching up. Tonight, we ask that you would use this time for your glory. Teach us about prayer. Illuminate your word and help us to apply your word as we learn from it today. In Jesus' mighty name. And Northwest Church said, amen. Amen. Again, my title tonight is Redefining Prayer. We're going to spend the majority of our time in Matthew chapter six. But I just want to start this series by talking about not only how important prayer actually is, but actually putting out some thoughts to you that I think at the onset of a, of, of a series of discussions on prayer that I find extremely vital. See, prayer is one of those things that when you say it, the assumption is for people in church that everybody knows what you're talking about. In fact, one of the things that I do as a, as a preacher is my, when I bring a, a conclusion to any message, one of the primary application points, no matter what message I'm preaching, is going to be that we need to step into a place of prayer because we've been given access to our Heavenly Father through Jesus Christ, and we can pray by the Holy Spirit. And this is the privileged place that we have as those who now have a relationship with Jesus. And so it's always going to be part of the conclusion that I bring to any message that I'm sharing because ultimately it is really about us connecting with God and he hearing from God, and we're going to do that in a place of prayer, but I think prayer can be thoroughly misunderstood, and I want to explain that tonight as we discuss it. Most people think that they know what prayer is until they're asked to define it. Now, I've told you this story before, if you've been with Northwest Church for the last, you know, even three, five, eight months that I've been here, you've actually heard me talk about a time in 2003 when I was at a prophetic conference and I was waiting in line to get some coffee and a man pulls me out of the line and gives me a prophetic word. And that prophetic word, part of it at least, was that I was going to write books and write books in other languages and so on and so forth. And I remember when he gave me the word, there was this automatic assumption, even though I didn't really necessarily think the word was right because I wasn't writing in any journals. I didn't like writing. I didn't think that I was going to write books and I didn't necessarily think I was going to write books after I received the prophetic word. But what was interesting about the word is that when he said, you're going to write books, I never stopped and thought, yeah, I, I, I don't know how to write because as, as it is we all sort of go to school and whatever level of schooling that we have, we take English classes and we understand the basics of writing. We all had to write book reports, we all had to write essays, we all had to write papers, whether they were short or small, or small or big. We all had to do that. And so when I got home and I had really kind of processed that word, in my mind it never really occurred to me that I I don't know how to write. I just assumed I did because I had done this before. But when, as time progressed, when I started to write my curriculum and my training materials and then ultimately my book, I realized very quickly that I did not know what I thought I knew. I actually didn't know how to write a book. I didn't know how to write like I thought I did. And there were simple things, and I hate to say it, I feel somewhat embarrassed, but I had to remember what all of these various terms were, like like adjectives, and what is the proper pronoun, and all these various things about writing and sentence structure, and where exactly to put a comma and a semicolon. I had to brush up on all of the basics in order for me to produce anything that was worthwhile. And I still today don't always know exactly if I'm doing it right. But what I realized in that season of my life was the thing that somebody said, I assumed I knew. And I think that same principle applies to prayer. When I tell people I think we need to step into a place of prayer, reach up 1,000, we need to pray, the assumption is, and maybe a lot of us have it, is that we know what prayer actually is. Now, here's the thought that I have. What if we don't thoroughly know what prayer actually is? We know maybe no parts of it. We maybe understand a little bit of it. But do we know everything that the Bible really has to say about prayer? And if we're not sure, maybe it is that people don't always pray because they're not sure what it is. Now, something I've learned as a pastor is that a lot of people really don't spend time in prayer. And this is really not a mystery or a secret, but if I ask, you know, how long do you, does everybody pray every day? You know, hands will go up. Does everybody pray longer than five minutes? A lot of hands will come down. And if you were to ask, or we were to ask just random people down at the supermarket, hey, what do you think Christians think prayer is? What do you think Christian prayer is based on the life of people that you know are followers of Jesus or Christians? I I think some, I mean, if we're just to be honest, I think people might say that weren't Christians, that Christians think prayer is what you do when you get into a jam. Prayer is what you do when you don't know what to do is you ask God to get you out of something. I wonder if that's what the world thinks what Christians think is prayer. And we might have some confusion in this issue. and, And I actually have this philosophy, this is just my opinion, that sometimes people don't pray because they don't know how. And they've never been taught how to pray. And one of the most important things that we can do is start to talk definitions so that we're certain what prayer is, and therefore we know what it's not. I think it does actually affect our practice. Now, I'm going to say some things, and you're going to have to come with me the whole way because you you won't understand why I'm saying what I'm saying unless you actually go through the entire talk. And this is important because I'm talking about redefining prayer, which I believe is what Jesus had to do when he stepped into his ministry. And he stepped into a world that had already pre-decided or pre-defined what prayer was. And what he modeled was actually something different than what the cultural norms were, both in Judaism and in paganism. And I think sometimes today we've developed our own versions of what we think prayer is. And it's not necessarily all wrong, but some of it might be. Now, I just went on that thing called Google and I looked up real quickly the definition of prayer. Now, if you do that, I've, I don't recommend you do that, but if you do that, you're going to find the same thing that I found. You're going to find a lot of different definitions of prayer. In fact, I think I read about 30 of them before I got tired of reading Google's definitions. They were from different people all over the place, different denominations. And it went from everything from prayer is a two-way street. It's listening to God. It's talking to God. It's talking to a dead saint. I mean, it was amazing. It was just sitting in silence, It it was so strange because I'm just, I'm just trying to think this out with you here real quick. If you type in like a word has a definition, okay, a a chair, everything has a definition. If you just think about it, a light, a chair, a camera, everything has a meaning. And so when you type in what is prayer, how come there are 30 or 40 different definitions within just like a 20 minute search, Do you think there's some confusion over this issue that we have so many definitions for this one word? I think so. I actually think that we're confused about this, and I think that it actually breeds an inactivity, is what I think. And that's why I think it's important for us to scale back a little bit and redefine what prayer actually is, because it's not rocket science. So, what I did is I I just looked at scripture. And I took out my concordance and I went through, there's about 432 references to prayer or a word that has a similar meaning to prayer. It, It would be derivatives of the word prayer or connective words. And this would be like prayer or pray or intercede, intercession, petition, supplication. Most of these words, almost all of them mean the exact same thing. Now they have They have different variations for a reason, which I'm gonna explain. But most of these words mean the exact same thing. And I'm gonna give you the meaning of that word, and it's going to be really simple. And even in original languages, I looked all of these various verses up, and there's about 432, and I was just trying to discover what this word really means. And I'm going to give it to you, and it's, 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 going, to, I mean, it's going to blow you away. All right? It's going to blow you away. You want to make sure you're sitting down right now. The word pray or prayer, and most of the derivatives, actually means to make a request. That's it. It just means to make a request. Now you go ahead and you look it up yourself, but we shouldn't be confused about what the word pray or prayer actually means because it's very simple. Words have a definition. Now words also have a context, but this is important that we get this word down so we know what we're doing. When you look at the references in the Bible, what you find is common themes. A person is asking God to do something based on the knowledge of His will, and then God would respond as they prayed or as they made a request. There are also uh, there are also phrases in the Old Testament that we understand as prayer. Like it would say, they cried out to the Lord. That terminology, cried out to the Lord, is what we would say is a prayer. They were fervent, they were passionate, they were serious, they were in a dire strait, they were in a position or a posture where they were desperate, but nonetheless, they made a request and God responded. And this is what we see in all of these, these moments in the Bible when we're looking at this thing called prayer. It's so, so important. I actually want to give you a definition that I wrote, which I think is more of a working or operational definition that involves both context and definition. Now, this is just what my, defin- or my definition is. The word pray or prayer, it means to make a request, but that doesn't necessarily frame up what we do when we spend time with the Lord in prayer. And so I wrote my own definition. And if you want to adopt it, you absolutely can. You just cannot trademark it. You cannot copyright it because this is my definition. But you can absolutely adopt it. Now, here's what I say prayer is based on the context of prayer in the Bible, but also the definition. This is it. Prayer is communion with God, that which leads us to discover what He wants to do, and then we ask Him to do it. I want to say that again. Prayer is having communion with God, which leads us to discover what he wants to do and then asking him to do it. As you know, this obviously implies the context which I want to talk to you about because prayer in and of itself, we could bang out you know, hundreds of requests inside 10 minutes. If all we did when we prayed was just say, God, would you do this? Would you do this? Would you do that? Would you do that? Then that we could do hundreds of requests in 10 minutes. So obviously there is a process to prayer and the Bible does talk about that. But when it does, it uses other words. And those words also have meanings and we wanna actually separate those out so that we understand the process of prayer or the ingredients of prayer as it were. In order for us to get like this specific request, if you can imagine like this just beautiful loaf of banana bread. Now this is just off the top of my head. It may not work. It's an illustration. I don't know. But you can imagine this beautiful loaf of banana bread. There are a lot of wonderful ingredients that go into that banana bread in order for you to take a slice and eat it. And I think the same is true for prayer. There are lots of ingredients that go into us making a request. But all of those things need to be understood. Those are the context for prayer. And that's what makes it potent. That's what makes it powerful. And actually, that's what gets an answer, which is why my definition says prayer is communion with God, which leads us to discovering God's will, and then we ask Him to do it. You see how there's a process before we ever get to the point of making prayer. A request because you have scriptures like this. You have not because you ask not. And when you do ask, you ask amiss. You ask based on your own selfish desires. In other words, God's not going to answer some of our prayers. Number one, because we're not asking. And number two, because when we're asking, we're asking for selfish things and God's not going to answer that. Jesus talked about prayers that he would answer, which were in accordance with his will which is why I developed the definition that I did. Now, something that I do when I describe my relationship with God, instead of saying my prayer time, because the word prayer can mean re- just re- mean request, I wanna talk about spending time with the Lord. When I spend time with the Lord, I do a whole lot more than just make requests. I do a lot of various things. And what I wanna do tonight is I wanna show you the various things that we do when we spend time with the Lord that actually cue up our request in those moments. And the first thing that we do and these are just several of them I'm going to rattle off, but number 1 is we spend time in personal or self reflection. And here's a passage that I'm going to share with you. This is Psalm 139:23. Now, I told you to go to Matthew chapter 6, and that's where I want you to park, but there's going to be a lot of rest stops on the way until we get to our final destination. Psalm 139 and verse 23 says, Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my anxious thoughts, and see if there be any hurtful way in me, and lead me in the way everlasting. And this this is why I'm bringing up this verse. Because there are times where maybe we're not seeing something about our own life. We hit a wall, we have a block, we're not quite sure why. And so we spend that moment where we have A time of reflection. Now I might even call, instead of self-reflection, I might call this spirit-led reflection would be a better way of putting it, where we're asking the Lord to search me. I'm not really, I am making in a sense a request, but it's not a request for something as much as it is for a revelation about where I'm personally at so that I can offer more of my heart to the Lord and surrender more to Him. This is something that we do in the process of our time in prayer. The second thing that I think we also do is we meditate on scripture. And I, for me, when I spend time with the Lord, the first thing that I do is I open God's word. And as you know, I have a, my Bible reading plan where I'm reading through the Old Testament once and the New Testament twice. In a year, the OSL Bible reading plan, which we are all doing as a church, or therefore I prophesy that we're all at least on a plan. And so when I do that, what I do is I write out passages that strike my heart. I write out passages that are maybe illuminated to me during my time in the word, and I make observations, and I meditate. Part of the reason that I journal is because I'm meditating on God's word. And this is what Psalm chapter one, verse one says. It says, how blessed is the man or woman who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked, nor stand in the path of sinners, nor sit in the seat of scoffers. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law he meditates, he considers deeply, he ponders upon that law, those words, day and and night. And here's what we know to consider deeply, to ponder, to take seriously. In order for our thoughts to go from surface level to that much deeper, there has to be somewhat of a process. And so for me, that's why I journal, is because my thoughts come out of my head and all of the other thoughts that are competing with it, and they get onto paper where I can go a lot deeper. And so if I haven't convinced you to be a journal person, let me convince you. And I don't just mean, you know, your diary. If that's who you are and you're a writer, that's fine. But I'm actually talking about observing the Bible. I'm talking about meditating on scripture. And the more we meditate on scripture, the more our spirit is provoked to pray biblical prayers that God will answer. We want to pray biblical prayers, not just wishful thinking, not just ideas that come to our mind. I'm not saying we can't process things with the Lord. We certainly can, but I'm talking about shaking hell, and I'm talking about pulling down heaven tonight, and if we're going to do that, then we're going to have to take our cues from the bible and as we meditate on scripture it prompts it props up that request that we are going to make when we make it the third thing that i bring up i want to bring up is silence and solitude this is maybe what i would call listening to god we all know psalm 46 verse 10 be still and know that i am god and we've i've preached a lot about john chapter 10 verse 27 where jesus says my sheep hear my voice I know them and they follow me. Well, hearing God's voice is extremely important if we're going to pray the prayers that are going to get the answers. And we have a lot of clutter, we have a lot of distraction, we need to discern the things that we're supposed to pray. We don't want to pray things that are not going to get answered, we don't want to pray unbiblical things, and we want to ensure that our ears are attentive to the voice of the Holy Spirit, which means that we have to learn stillness at times. And that doesn't mean that everything around us is always going to be quiet, but I'm talking about getting to a place where we can have that alone time with God and listen to His voice. I do this every day. Just as I meditate on scripture, I listen to the voice of the Lord every day. Now, I don't always hear something, but I'm trying to make myself available in case He wants to say anything. The the next thing I want to talk to you about, also as an ingredient to our process of prayer, is praise and thanksgiving. Psalm chapter 9, verse 2, the psalmist writes, I will be glad and exult in you. I will sing praise to your name most high there are many other passages Hebrews 13:15 through Jesus therefore let us continually offer God a sacrifice of praise the fruit of the fruit of lips that confess his name. I believe that praise and worship, just as we're gonna see next week when I talk through the Lord's Prayer, praise and worship just sets up the stage for making requests. We start with praise on our lips, with worship in our hearts. And as we make much of Jesus and as we look unto the Lord, it's like our mind starts to think like the mind of Christ and prayers come out of our mouth that that resemble what we see in the life of Jesus because we're focused on God and not on ourselves. We're looking to him and we're not just feeling the wounds and, and the issues of life that come against us or to us all of the time. This is so important that we get a hold of this issue of praise and thanksgiving. I'm always suspicious, listen to me, I am always suspicious of anybody's prayer life when they don't have a praise life. I am always suspicious of somebody's prayer time when they do not worship in song because to me, prayer is something that we do with our mouth. It's words coming out of our heart. Out of the overflow of our heart, our mouth will speak. And if we're not having an overflow of worship and praise, all that we're going to do in prayer, in my opinion, most of the time is going to be reactionary when we get into a jam. And if we want to move away from reactionary praying and move into a place of proactive praying where we are seeking God all the time and we are praying to God on a daily basis, then we have to have this posture and this position where we are worshiping God and we are giving him out of the overflow of our hearts. And if that's not where you're at right now, what what I want you to do is just stop and ask God to give you an overflow of worship and praise. Say, Lord, show me what you've done for me so that my mind might be renewed and my heart might be full and my words would be filled with your adoration and praise. And as that happens, my friends, what will also happen in a corresponding way is we will pray. It just is the way that it works. If we're not worshipers and praisers, we're not going to be prayers. It just isn't, it isn't my experience. And so here's what I want to present to you. I also want to talk to you just for a moment about confession. And we see this in 1 John chapter 1 verse 9, where John says, if we confess our sins. He is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. See, and and sometimes people will say, well, isn't that prayer? No. Confession is not prayer. Confession is confession. Prayer is making a request. But before we make requests, we have to come to God and we confess our sins. This is part of spending time with him. And again, don't be confused about this. There are many things that we do when we spend time with God. There are a lot of ingredients into that banana bread, all right? But they're not all the same thing. We practice all of these things. I might make requests in my time with the Lord for five, maybe seven minutes, maybe eight minutes. I can bang out a lot of requests, but I might spend an hour of time where we would traditionally call it prayer time. I spend an hour with the Lord where I'm worshiping him. I'm confessing my sin. I'm asking for him to show me my heart. I'm praising him and I'm giving him thanks for who he is. And as I do that, I enter into this place of relational exchange and he begins to speak to me and his word starts to bubble up in my heart and just biblical prayers start to come out of me. And this is what happens there are several other things that are maybe what I would call the, the elements of prayer, the, ascent, the, the elements that go into all of this, but I'm contending that not all of them are prayer, but all of them are part of the prayer process and make up our prayer time. Now, a good illustration is just like when I'm with my wife. In my relationship with my wife, there are a lot of things that we do. There are a lot of exchanges that we have. Some of them are spoken. Some of them are not spoken. But there are times where I ask my wife to do something. I make a request. But there are a lot of other exchanges that go into that request of knowing what I need, And just like with the Lord, except that our relationship with Him is quite a bit different. He's the source of life. He's the one that we're following. He's God Almighty. He's the one we're following after in His will and doing what He's asked us to do. But in this relationship with Him, we want to make sure that if we are going to make these requests, that we know not only where these requests ought to come from, but also that we are practicing all of these other biblical principles that are involved in this time that we spend with the Lord. Our practice of being with God includes prayer, but not everything that we do should be called prayer. And the reason that I'm saying that to you is because I actually think there's a lot of confusion. See, listen, and I'm just going to say this over the next few weeks, and I know, I mean, I've actually shared this before, and I've seen, I've seen people cry when I've made this statement. I believe that prayer needs to come out of our mouth. I believe words actually should be spoken. All right, now I'm gonna prove that to you over the next several weeks because even the word, the, the grammatical word, prayer, it carries the connotation of something that is spoken. The idea that we pray in our hearts, I mean, maybe that's the case. Maybe we can pray prayers in our heart, but it's the exception. And what I'm saying is that we we are to pray out loud. We are to pray with our words. And so what I think is that there are people that, and they've never prayed out loud. Maybe there's a you you lack a boldness or a courage, or you're trying to wax eloquent, or, or you've seen other people do it and you're intimidated by it. And you might be saying, well, Ben, are you saying that I don't pray? I'm not saying anything. I'm just trying to pick up on Scripture. And Scripture says that prayer is to make a request, and that means it's got to come out of our mouth. It can't just be something that's in our Our heart. Now, maybe you've prayed prayers in your heart. Fine, okay. But I I don't. I don't trust that what's in my heart is a this this clear line to the Lord. This clear prayer. It might happen sometimes. But I believe that the Bible teaches us to have words come out of our mouth. And so, so important that what I'm saying now is that you can have time where you listen to the Lord. You can have time of thanksgiving. You can have time of silence and solitude. But I don't necessarily think all of that's prayer. There are other principles and practices that we have in our time with God. And I think, what if this, let me just pose this question to you. What if people think that they're praying and they're actually not? but they're practicing other biblical principles. I mean, that's wonderful. We want to practice all of them. But what if God is pushing us to this place of not just sitting in silence, but that we're actually supposed to be crying out like we read about in scripture. Here's my challenge to you. And this is for us as a church community. When we see people in scripture pray, what are they doing? What are they doing when we see people pray in scripture? Are they sitting there? Are they silent? Or are they crying out to God? Are they making a request before God? Are words coming out of their mouth? And I'm I'm telling you, if you look at what it it says in scripture, if you look at the context of scripture, you are going to find again and again and again. And I've had people send to me some exceptions to that, but they're very few, if any. They're very few, if any. We're talking about over 400 something references to prayer. If you're a person... And you heard me talk already and you're saying, "Ben, I don't pray out loud right now. I don't use my words right now and I've never done that before." Here's what I'm saying. I'm saying it's time to be challenged. It's time for you and I to to grow. Growing's not a bad thing, but it's time to take the next step and you're going to see how God will make you bolder as you start to pray out loud using your words. Just Test me in this. Trust me. And as you start to use your words, you're going to watch how your life before the Lord is going to get a little bit more and more bold. For the rest of us, I just want to simply encourage you. Now, what are some of the essentials of prayer? We talked about some of the elements of prayer, the ingredients to the banana bread. I don't know if that illustration is working for you. Some of you might be eating banana bread right now just because I said it. I'm not even sure about that or some kind of bread. All right. All right. But here we want to talk a little bit about the essentials of prayer. And I think that it's interesting when we look at Matthew chapter 6, which is what I originally asked you to open up to we see that Jesus, before he ever taught people how to pray, he taught them how to not pray. And this had a lot to do with the cultural understanding of prayer as it was. And so Jesus came and he taught about prayer, but he first, in this context of Matthew 6, he confronted two different models of prayer that were the primary examples for his hearers. And we're talking about Jews who practice Judaism, and we're talking about gentiles who practice paganism or at least that was their example and we see that there are these these ways or these models and i'm not suggesting that jewish people who were practicing what was written down under the old covenant in the old testament i'm not saying that everything that they practice Was necessarily wrong, but Jesus confronts the motivation that they have, and he's confronting the method that they have in wanting people to see them. And so, what I want to do is I simply want to just read this passage in the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew chapter 6, verse 5, and then we'll break it down from there. And here's what Jesus says He says, When you pray, you are not to be like the hypocrites. For they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and on the street corners so that they might be seen by men. There, there are, he's talking about the Jews. He's very much offending them right now, those that are Orthodox Jews that are practicing Judaism, the Pharisees and the Sadducees, the the, the rulers that are in front of him at this time. And he is saying they love to pray in the synagogues. They love to pray on the street corners. They want everybody to see them because they're not really praying to God. They're practicing a principle, but they want to be seen by people. This is what they're actually after. And Jesus is confronting them. And he says, truly, I say to you that they have their reward in full. But you, when you pray, go into your inner room and close your door and pray to your father who is in secret. And your father who sees what is done in secret will reward you openly. Now he introduces a new concept to them about prayer a new way of prayer right here. And he goes on to say in verse seven, and when you are praying, do not use meaningless repetition as the Gentiles do, for they suppose that they will be heard for their many words. And you can imagine that he's talking about pagans who are just babbling. You know, they would cut them. Selves, and they would placate their gods. And he's, t- he's really giving a reference of what pagans were used to in the way that they would worship their own gods. And that's the form of prayer that they were used to. He said, don't do that. Don't do what they do. They just speak and it's meaningless repetition. Do not be like them for your father already knows what you need before you ask him. And I wanna just go over what I think Jesus tells them or the new way that he introduces to them, which he actually becomes the model for. Jesus lived in a way of what he actually spoke about right here. And there are just three things that I'm going to observe from this text. The first thing that I think he says here is he says for us to establish a secret place. And this is what he says. If you remember, he says, go into your inner room and close your door and pray to your father who is in secret. There's a secret place he would often go to the mountaintop or the mountain, the hilled areas, and be alone with the Father. And mountaintops in that time were considered holy. You'll see this throughout scripture. And then he taught them, he said, go into your inner room to pray. Your inner room was most likely a storeroom or an inner chamber. A lot of times those houses would have a storeroom on the rooftop. And it was the only, or, or at least one of the only rooms that actually had a door, and that's the whole point. He's basically just saying, Establish a place, go to a place where you can be alone. I want to encourage you to be alone with your father who sees in secret. In other words, there is something that you need to know that you've been given access to with your father, your heavenly father, that nobody else is invited into. And for those that wanted other people to see them, for those that were interested in in the attaboys and what men saw and all of that, he's just cutting right through all of that religiosity. And he's saying what it's really about is it's about relationship with the father and intimacy with him. The father sees what is done in secret. You need to establish a secret place, find a place, go to a place where nobody else is invited into. Now, sometimes we get this twisted. We think Christianity, our Christian life should be a secret. No, our prayer life, part of our prayer life, not our intercession Corporate intercession with the church, but there is a place that you and I are invited into, and we want to cultivate with God that through Jesus has been secured permanently, whereby we can seek God, pray. He hears us and He responds to us. That's what the scripture right here says. It says He sees what is done in secret and He rewards openly. What does that mean? He answers the prayers of his people. There's nothing wrong with public prayer, but private prayer in the secret place has got to come first. We cannot be public place Christians. We have to first be people that are practicing our Christianity in private. Then when we come out in public, we're not Hypocrites. We're not just doing something here that we're not doing anywhere else. And that's what Jesus is actually getting to. And so, what I want to encourage you with is to establish a secret place. Where is the place that you're alone with God? where you can cultivate that relationship with him. Now, for me, it's not going to be my bedroom because I don't pray usually in my bedroom. I sleep in my bed, okay? (laughs) I get dressed. So I used to pray in my bedroom a long time ago, but I find that I just easily fall asleep. And so I personally have to go somewhere else. And I think it's interesting that Jesus associates a place with prayer and intimacy, Why? Maybe it's that he knows something about us that we often don't recognize about ourselves. And that's that whether it's our brain or it's our heart, it helps us to know where we're going. Now, for me, it just needs to happen. The most important appointment that I have is with God every day. We put our appointments on our phones, whether it's for us or it's for our family, and we make sure that we fulfill all of those appointments. We need to make sure that we are not missing the most important meeting of the day, but we've got to have... A place. And I think it is so important that we know where to go. The second thing that Jesus says is, He says, shut the door. When you go into the inner room, shut the door behind you. We're shutting ourselves in with the Lord and we're shutting ourselves out from all of the distractions. And it's obvious that we have become a a distracted generation. I don't know about you, but the iPhone or the iPad or the iMac or the television or whatever, we have a lot of vices. Let's just admit it. We have everything from social media to online media. We've got news. We've got everything you can think of today to distract us, to entertain us, and to pull us away. And we've got to learn how to say no. We've got to learn how to turn the off button, the off switch, and get a hold of self-control. And this will help us not just to be more religious, but to have more room and more time for relationship. We have to learn how to shut the door on the voices that are just swirling around us all the time. Now, I've talked to you about this before, so I'm not going to belabor the point, but Jesus is emphasizing this. and for order for us to have this effective place of prayer, we have to actually learn how to shut the door. And that's a good place to start. If you don't know what next step you need to take, I would say to you, you've got to learn to establish a place. Where do you go to pray every day? And how do you shut the door? What do you need to turn off? What do you need to put away? I think if we have a better relationship with our iPhone than we do with the Lord in prayer, we've got, we've got to own it. You know what I'm saying? We've just got to own it. What if it's just that simple? We can learn all of this deep stuff. We can have all of this great knowledge. But what if our connection is just like, zzz, 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 it's just not secured. See, it's not about knowledge in that space. What it's about is whether or not we are actually stepping out on the simple words That Jesus says, isn't it interesting that knowledge can get us to the door, but obedience is what causes us to walk through it? Isn't it amazing? And so everybody might get to the door, the front of the door, at at a different time. Some people are smarter, some people know the Bible better, but it doesn't actually get you through the door. That requires obedience. And sometimes people that have less knowledge go through the door because they're more obedient. And so what I'm saying is that we've got to learn how to just obey the simple words of Christ and that ushers us in to the kind of prayer life that Jesus himself modeled. The third thing we see here is what I'm saying is relate to God as father. Jesus says, "Pray to your father who is in secret." See, when God is your dad, when he's your heavenly father and that's the relationship that Jesus secured, we stop thinking about what other people are thinking. We stop thinking about our public profile. We start thinking about our personal profile it 's really interesting now that i 'm preaching in and there 's five hundred and something chairs and they 're all empty. You know before the coronavirus and and our shutdown and our quarantine we we were having a problem with having enough seats. And now we don't know why we have all these seats. So it's kind of funny, but I've had this phrase come up and it's been sort of a joke and I don't mean it to be funny, but you sort of know that you're actually preaching to an audience of one when you've got nobody in the seats. You know, it's just been this funny thing that's been looming around in my head, but it's actually true. And that's what it's like in our prayer closet. That's what it's like in our secret place is that we're spending time with an audience of one. We're cultivating something that only God sees. And that makes our relationship with the Lord so much more real. And He is our Heavenly Father. And we're not concerned first and primarily about what everyone else says or what everyone else thinks. We are, consu- we are consumed and concerned about what our Heavenly Father thinks, what our Heavenly Father is saying, and what we are saying and praying back to Him. I remember when one of my sons was younger, and I think that he, you know, he one his sister actually um, had somebody spending the night, and so they were in her room talking, and uh, and I was tucking him in, and he was much much younger, and and as I'm closing the door, he said to me, he goes, Dad, he goes, I want you I want you to stay here, and I go, uh, okay, cool. So I I shut the door, and he goes, I want you to I want you to sit right here. And so I just lay down on my son's bed and he's staring at me and I'm staring at him and he's staring at me and I'm staring at him. And I go, what's up? Because I thought maybe he wanted to talk with me. And he goes, oh, nothing. I just wanted you to be here. And so I remember, I remember looking into my son's eyes. And at first I was kind of like, what are you talking about? (laughs) Just because I was thinking about going somewhere else. But I remember and just sort of a deep moment came upon me and I thought to myself, man, I want to be with God, my heavenly father, the same way that my son wants to be with me right now. See the, the goal, the idea of being with God as my heavenly father, relating to him as father, it changes the way that I pray. It, it changes the way that I speak to God in prayer. Now this is what it does. You cut loose of all the hallelujahs and amen's. Nothing's wrong with hallelujah, praise be to God. Nothing wrong with amen. So be it, Lord Jesus. What I'm saying is is that sometimes we close our eyes and we go into this religious place where we're not even thinking about what we're saying. And we just sort of have this carbon copy thing and instead we just say, "Father, I thank you for who you are and I just it's such a privilege to be here with you and I'm grateful for that." And you just start to talk to God you start to exchange with him in such a real way and in that secret place your relationship with him gets so real and 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 you're not leaving it to the public place because you have something so deep and so meaningful in the secret place and it spills out of us it flows out of us you you know when you've been around somebody who spends time in the secret place and they talk about God differently not just as As a religious guy in the sky, but as a heavenly father, which is what Jesus came to establish on our behalf. When we look at prayer, the reason that I'm spending the extra time talking about all these various things is because I think we need to redefine it. We need to make sure that we understand to pray is to make a request, but the ingredients that go into a thriving and vibrant prayer life are all of these other elements that maybe we've called prayer, but they're actually attached. It's like a tree with branches. And we have all of these different things that we practice, these biblical principles of thanksgiving and worship and silence and solitude and listening to the Lord and receiving from his heart and worshiping. Pray, all of these things make up what we do and they cue up this request that we offer to the Lord and it's powerful and it's potent. And it causes prayer to go deeper and become more meaningful. And I want to make sure that we're not just public place Christians. Maybe one of the things that's happening right now in the church at large in America. I've heard so many people talk about the church in America and what the church in America needs. I don't, I don't know if I know what the church in America needs. I don't speak for the church in America. I love Northwest Church. All right. That's all I know. Right now, I'm just consumed with Northwest Church. I love the church church. Uh, the body of Christ, uh, universal body of Christ in the United States of America, all across the world. But, but I, don't, I don't know that I can be a voice. I'm not a prophetic voice for all of that. So I don't want to make assumptions and make statements, sweeping statements that I don't understand. But I do know this is that I wonder, I wonder if we would come out of just public place Christianity and have something special in the secret place. I wonder if that would absolutely transform what we do in the public place. I, I, I wonder if it would be explosive. Like, like just like you, you just blow the roof off of this building that we have called the church because every one of us has something so sweet and so special and so powerful, something you can't take me away from, something you can't, you can't take it away from me. And we have that together. And and when we come here in the building and we start to celebrate what God is doing, man, it's just explosive. Revival just breaks out. And not only does it come into the public place, but then it goes into the marketplace, right? So it goes from the secret place to the public place to the marketplace. But it starts with Christians who have been saved and redeemed by the blood of Jesus, who know that they now have a heavenly father who sees in secret. And he rewards those openly that come to him and have known how to shut their door. I wonder if we've just got to go back to that place of having something, with God in the secret place that blows, it blows the roof off of what we do in the public place. Maybe that's what God is doing right now. Maybe he is helping us understand that we need to come back to the simplicity of what prayer actually starts with. It starts with us and our heavenly dad. It starts with what Jesus paid for. It starts with something special, something that n- nobody can have except through Jesus, because of Jesus, by spending time with Jesus. I I wonder if God is leading us back to the place, not of individual Christianity, but of holding the secret place special again and teaching our families to do the same thing, of showing our kids that, that that's what they have to have. If they're going to have any true successful life, not success in the world's eyes but true success where we know God and we make him known that we lived our life and we lived it to the fullest of serving and loving and knowing the Lord Jesus, that place of prayer has got to become sacred and honored and special by all of his children. What I want to do is by redefining prayer is just reduce it down to simplicity. Every one of us can do this. Every one of us can do this anytime, all the time, but will you reserve a place for God in your life? If you haven't been doing that, just repent. It's the greatest gift that we have. Lord, I'm sorry I haven't been with you like I know I can and I know I should and that Jesus, you paid a price so that I could be with you. I've lost my first love. And yeah, Lord, I've done the public place thing, but I've lost my first love. My heart hasn't been fixed on you. My words haven't been flowing as I pray and seek you. I haven't been praising you and worshiping you. And I don't worship you in my own time. But I want to go back to it. I want the abundance or the overflow of my heart to be revealed in my words. Because it says my mouth will speak. God, I want that back. Bring me back to first love. That's the call of this moment. Maybe we need to repent. And God is bringing us back to first love. Before he heals our land, maybe he needs to heal our home. Maybe he needs to heal our heart. Maybe he needs to bring us back to our knees again. What about that? What about coming back to our knees? Yeah, that's what I think. God, help us to understand prayer in its simplicity, not its complication. Jesus came to make things more simple for us because your ways are not our ways and your thoughts are not our thoughts. That's why he had to come down to us, because we could never go up to him. Simplicity, this is what it's all about. Maybe we need to go back to our knees. I'm gonna lead us in a time of prayer in just a moment, but I wanna share with you some things that the Lord put on my heart prophetically for us as a community. And the first one, lo and behold, some of this stuff that I shared with you tonight was not in my notes. I think you know that. I look at my notes, but half the time I go off script. It is what it is. But two of the things that I wrote down prior to sharing what I did happened to do with our homes. And the first one is that I saw some spiritual attacks in our homes. I saw that there were attacks that have been released. And I saw like a child waking up in the middle of the night, just crying, just scared, afraid, kind of had like a spiritual encounter. I wasn't really sure, kind of confused. And I also saw just like this eerie sense of like an attack over the family, like sickness continues to happen again and again and again in your home. And you just have not been able to rid your family of it when it goes from one person to the next, to the next. And it just seems like there's been a cycle of sickness and it hasn't stopped. And it is like a spiritual attack. And I heard the Holy Spirit say, take authority over it. Take authority over it. We have authority We have authority to confront principalities and powers. We have authority to confront sickness and disease and demonic spirits. And so tonight, let's do that right where you are, just right now. If it's not you, but it's someone else, just take authority over that thing as we come together as a church. In the name of Jesus, we pray, Lord, we thank you that you've given us your authority and we stand in your mission for your ministry, for your glory. And right now we take authority over those attacks against our people. And we say, no, in the name of the Lord Jesus, every lying and filthy spirit, if there's a spirit there, we pray right now that it be exposed in the name of Jesus. And we command it to flee from the home of someone that's a part of Northwest Church right now in Jesus' mighty name. We take authority over that attack and we say no more in Jesus' name. Thank you, Lord. I just see a wisdom, if that's you, just to walk in every room of your home, the kitchen, the living room, the family room, every bedroom, lay your hands on your children's bed if you have kids, lay your hand on your bed, just lay your hands on the walls and say, no, this is the house of the Lord, filled with the presence of Almighty God in Jesus' name. The wisdom that God would give to us to be the priests of our home, to be the intercessors, because it's a home, a place of ministry, a place of peace that God himself not only dwells in, but uses through each one of us to bring people into the knowledge of Jesus Christ. This, the second thing that I saw was praying for marriages. And this is uh, interesting, but I, I wrote down, you, have a, you had a pretty serious argument in the last two days. In fact, I believe it was yesterday. It is what I saw in my, in my mind you had a pretty serious argument and there's just been something looming there, even like an underlying bitterness. And I want to pray also just for all marriages, that they be strong, growing, developing, thriving. It doesn't matter what age we are. We want to keep growing and we want to keep going. We want to deepen our our lives with our spouses, that we would be a reflection of what it looks like to love God and to love each other in our homes with our kids, with our neighbors. So Father, we thank you right now in Jesus' name. We pray right now over all of our marriages. I pray over mine, my wife and I. We pray in Jesus' name that our homes would be consecrated, set apart for your holy purposes. Lord, I pray over every married couple right now that you would give us the mind of Christ for our spouse. Sacrificial love. Lord, where we've been selfish, we repent and we pray, God, that you would give us your heart for our spouse deliver us of selfishness and self first mentality help us to see the needs of our spouse lord help us to love our wives and our husbands lord i I pray over us god that we would be a reflection of your very heart and intention and your design of this thing that we call marriage this is your design this is your thought this is what you've given to us It's not something that just is supposed to fulfill something in our hearts, Lord. Ultimately, you're the leader of our homes. We yield to you, Lord Jesus. Show us a new way and show us a new way in this season. You're bringing it back to the home. Help us to see one another the way that you do. God, I pray where there's unreconciled issues, would you bring reconciliation into our homes? Bring forgiveness into our hearts. Help us to have soft hearts and to give mercy to one another. Breathe upon our lives. Breathe upon our marriages, Lord. Lead us in repentance and a selfless way, we pray. I believe that the Lord continues to heal us. And I, and I want to say to you tonight, healing in the name of Jesus. I saw ear infections or at least the, the onset of ear infections and particularly the right ear. So if you have something like that, maybe a beginning of an ear infection or you feel like something's happening there and it's just extremely uncomfortable, just put your hand over your ear right now. And even if you know somebody that has, just send us to them right now. In Jesus' name, we pray for your healing power to come and take the pain away, take the infection away, and release your healing, your healing virtue right then and right there. Thank you, Lord. Thank you for our church, Lord. Your healing power flows as we pray. And we trust that you're the great physician. Right now, bring healing to our ears. And also, the, there's a constancy. I know some people have pain in their lower back, but there's just a constant pain in the lower back. It's just this. It's almost like a section of your lower back. And I saw it was just almost vibrating, like it just—it's so constant you're used to it. It doesn't go away. So right now, we just pray, Lord, would you lay your hands on on the backs that are just experiencing that pain. We speak healing over you right now in the name of Jesus, the healing power of the Lord right now from the top of your head to the bottom of your feet. Where one of us as a body suffers, we suffer together. And, and in so doing, we pray and we ask for the ministry of God's spirit to release healing to whatever part of the body that is experiencing that pain. It says that we rejoice with those who rejoice. We mourn with those who mourn. We suffer with those that suffer. And so right now we pray, God, sweep your healing power across Northwest Church. Some of us are sleeping right now. Some of us are in a car right now. Some of us are in homes. We're sitting on a couch. Some of us are making something in our kitchen. I just pray that you would lay your hands on all of us and touch us, that we would experience divine health and divine healing. Because we believe by your mighty hand, that you bring healing to our bodies and health to our bones. By your stripes, we are healed and made whole. And we believe that tonight in Jesus' mighty name. We thank you, Lord, for ministering to your people. We're here to minister, but Lord, ultimately what we need is we need you. We need your power and we need your presence to touch our lives. And we thank you that that's what you're doing in Jesus' name. And God's people said, amen. Let me close by encouraging you about prayer. Press into your time with God. Press into your time with God. Practice everything we talked about. Find a secret place. Amen. Shut the door. Relate to God as your heavenly Father. It's a game changer. Let's spend time with God in the secret place. Watch what he'll do in the public place and the marketplace as we simply just practice this sacred privilege that God has given us of prayer. God bless you. We love you, church. And we look forward to seeing you also this weekend. Amen. Thanks for listening. If you'd like more information about Ignite Global Ministries, please go to our website, IgniteGlobalMinistries.org. While there, check out our Immersion Discipleship School and the books Pastor Ben has written.